This episode of The Minimalist Podcast is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. Ryan Nicodemus is on vacation, so today's episode, I'm going to sneak into his apartment and get rid of everything. Just kidding. Today, I do want to tackle... One of the most frequent minimalism conundrums that people have. Man, this seems to be a problem for so many people. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can actually see that I'm surrounded by book clutter. Book clutter is today's topic. We're going to talk about books. We'll probably talk a little bit about about writing as well. But I enjoy reading books. I want to talk about why I enjoy reading books. I want to talk about what kind of books I enjoy, how I read them. It's not just physical print books like all of these books around me. I have this device in my pocket where I can listen to books. I have this device here where I can read. There's a thousand plus books on this device. If you're watching this, it's a Kindle. Other e-readers work really well. Also, we got this tweet from Adam on Twitter. He said he talked about this term uh, sunduku. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. It's a Japanese term. It means uh, acquiring reading materials, but letting them pile up in one's home without reading them. Now, does that sound like you? Have you ever purchased a book and just not read it? It was an aspirational purchase. I know I have. In fact, I used to have about 2,000 books. There's an essay in one of our books called Essential. I'll hold this up for the camera here. It's an essay collection. Ryan and I wrote 150 different essays about intentional living, 12 different areas of intentional living. One of those areas is stuff and one part of our stuff, at least for most of us, has to do with our books or our book collection. Now, I used to own 2,000 books, and this essay is called I Got Rid of 2,000 Books. I'll just read this really quickly as a way to kick off this episode, then we'll get into your questions. I used to own 2,000 books, slightly more than that, actually. I had all kinds of books, hardcovers, paperbacks, trade paperbacks, literary fiction, writing and grammar books, books of photography, self-help books, my, de- my deceased father's collection of old medical journals, genre fiction, those cute little pop-up books, you name it. I had shelves and shelves and more shelves of books, some of which I actually read, and many of which I'd read someday, you know, whenever I got around to it. But who was I kidding? I thought my overflowing shelves of books made me look important, intelligent, and cool. Look at me. I know how to read a lot. What's worse, I thought these books made me somebody. They were part of my identity. These books were a part of me. And once something's a part of your identity, once it becomes part of you, it's exceedingly hard to shed. This is true for anything we incorporate into our identities, our careers, our cars, our homes, our possessions, our sentimental items. 
These things become part of us and they become anchors in our lives. Anchors that keep us at bay, away from the freedom of the open seas. And then I go into how I let go of 2,000 books, but that's really what we're going to talk about today. I think that was my main problem. I still get immense value from books. The point of that essay is that I actually got rid of 2,000 books, but started reading more as a result. No longer were my book purchases aspirational, but well, why do we read books, right? We want to read more. We don't want to own more books. I think that should really be the point of all of this. Unfortunately, we have conflated the two. We confuse owning a book with the value of the book. The value is not in this artifact. If you buy a copy of this book, Essential, that I'm holding up here, or any of these other books I have on the table, there's no value. In fact, it's just a paperweight, an ironic paperweight that's made of paper. And you're not going to get value from it unless you actually do something with it, which is really a metaphor for life, right? And so what I hope to talk about today is not to say get rid of your books. If you find immense value in your book collection, I encourage you to not get rid of it. But I know a lot of you struggle and say, how can I let go of all of these books that I've purchased? And so we're going to talk today about that. We're going to talk about how I read books now. You see, I have a lot of print books around me. I, I do read books on my Kindle quite frequently as well, because that app also works well on my phone. So if I'm standing in line at Chipotle or, well, remember we could go out and stand in line in places when that was a thing. By the way, I'm here with Jordan No More and Podcast Sean. Uh, they'll be joining me on the microphone occasionally, and especially during the Maximal episode, theminimalists.com slash support if you want to listen to that. We're going to do a deep dive into some of our favorite books, my favorite books, different types of writing, different types of books. And we're going to read from some books as well, a bit of a different type of maximal episode. But today for the minimal episode, I want to go ahead and get into your questions. Our first question today is from Danielle in Missoula, Montana. So I have a ton of books that I have had the intention of reading. There's a lot of books I still haven't read. And so I don't know. Part of me is just like, I don't know if I should get rid of them or if I should keep them with a, instead of goal to read them by a certain time. If I haven't read them by a certain time, then get rid of them. Just wanted to get your input as to how to move forward. Well, I think the, there's a couple good options there. You just laid them out pretty simply here. It's your intention to read them, right? I think that's why we bring books in. We usually intend to read them. I've never bought a book that I didn't intend to read, although I've bought a lot of books that I never read before. And so I think we need to set some rules up here. Now, you've already established that you can do that, right? You've said, well, should I keep them with the goal that I'm going to read them? And if that makes sense and you feel that you can fulfill that objective, then yeah, sure, why not? Or, or should I get rid of them? And I think the answer is, it really depends on, on your temperament. If these books are weighing you down, if they're getting in the way, if there's a lot of psychological weight, if they're taking up too much space in your home and, and, and that is causing some emotional weight, then I would say, by all means, clean slate, get rid of them. But if you have some books and you know that you have an opportunity to read them, they're, they're not just in case items, they're just for when you're able to pick them up, then yeah, I think it's important to set up a rule, to have a, a bit of a deadline. And it doesn't have to be the 90-90 rule, which is something we talk about in, in our Minimalist Rulebook, which uh, we'll give you a copy for free, Danielle. 
Uh, it's free for everyone, actually. TheMinimalists.com slash rulebook. Or if you want the audiobook version, we just did an audiobook version for that. You can listen to that. And it's it's a, a different kind of audiobook. We recorded like 16 different mini podcasts with that to go along with each of those 16 rules for living with less. But one of those rules is the... 90-90 rule. Have I used this in the last 90 days? Will I use it in the next 90 days? Now, a lot of these books, let me pick up one here. This is a book called Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. What a phenomenal book this is. And actually, this is one of the, there's maybe three books that I buy by the case. I purchase by the case and I hand them out to people, friends, family, etc. Anyone who I think would find value from it. And, and this one in particular, I think it's 88 pages of, of Zen wisdom about business. And well, I, it's, it says it's for entrepreneurs. But anyway, this book, I can look at it and say, have I used this in the last 90 days? Will I use it in the next 90 days? If not, I give myself permission to let go. Now, maybe 90 days is not the appropriate timeline for you. With a lot of these books that you have, Danielle, of course, you haven't used them in the last 90 days, but maybe it's a one-year rule for you. Maybe it's, hey, am I going to read this in the next year? Now, if you want to get strict, then maybe it's 90 days. Maybe it's 30 days. You give yourself the opportunity to really whittle down that collection of books you're actually going to read within the next year. And be honest with yourself. How many books are you reading a month? The average person is less than one, which, by the way, the only numeral less than one is zero. And so the average person reads next to nothing. And so if you can commit to just reading one book a year, then keep 12 books that you have. You don't even need to add any more to the collection and you can get rid of everything else. And by the way, you can always bring something back in if you absolutely find that, wow, I missed this for some reason. Now I'll talk to you about some of the books that I hold on to for longer than that, that fall outside of a, a 90-90 rule. And it's a lot of reference books or just some of my favorite books. Today today on The Maximal, we're actually going to go over my, my 17 or maybe it's 14 favorite books. I haven't decided which yet. Also, six books I, I wish I would have uh, I would have written. And those books I go back to all the time. One of those books is right here. This is David Foster Wallace's first essay collection. It's called A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again holding this up for the cameras on YouTube. And I think it's a masterpiece of a book. Essays and arguments, especially the experiential essays that take place throughout this book. The title essay, there's another one called A Ticket to the Fair. It's actually, uh, that's the, the shorter version. That's the Harper's version. But there is a uh, an essay in here about the county fair in Illinois, which is hilarious and informative. And, and you know, there's something about a collection like that that I keep going back to. I may not read it cover to cover, but I go back to it very regularly. And my wife hasn't read a whole lot of David Foster Wallace. So from time to time, when we're doing our morning reading, I'll just pop out one of his books and dive into an essay, read a paragraph or a page or two and have that shared experience together. There are other books like reference books that I use all the time. I mean, this book right here, which I'll hold up, is like a doorstop. Getting a workout just lifting it. This is Gardner's Modern American Usage. It's a usage dictionary. Now, it's a not a dictionary in the traditional sense. Like you don't look up words necessarily, but you look up uh, parts of speech, and it directs you how to better write, how to better use those parts of speech. So as a writer, I'll, I'll often look something up. Uh, let me give you an example. I'll just flip to a page 
really quickly. And here it talks about compose versus comprise. And what's the difference between, we often use that word comprised incorrectly, right? I'll say, you know, uh, Sean's outfit was comprised of a shirt, shoes, and pants. That's the incorrect way to use the word. You would say it's composed, right? Uh, the And so um, a usage dictionary shows you how to correctly use standard American English. And so that's something I go back to regularly. There are other books that I use as inspiration for when I'm writing. And we're going to go through some of those on the Maximal episode. But Danielle, I'm going to move on to another question. I hope you enjoy that copy of the Minimalist Rule Book, either the audio book or the free ebook over at theminimalists.com slash rulebook. Nicole in Lincoln, Nebraska has a question for us. My biggest question is books. I love books so much. I really don't have a lot of books, but the books that I do have, I really love. Um, are in our garage because our apartment is too small to have a bookcase and share all the books with everybody, but I really do love them. Um, I'm just knowing that my husband is going to want me to get rid of them, so... That is my question is what should we do with those? So, Nicole, yeah, yes, this is a problem for, for several reasons. I'll talk to you about how I, I use, well, how I store my own books, how I've tackled this problem in my own life. But Sean, podcast Sean, do you have any advice for Nicole? Yeah, I said... Uh, Get rid of the husband and keep the books. <laughs> well, hopefully he's not going to give you that that ultimatum, right? Uh, and, and you said he wants you to get rid of the books. And I think the reason being is not that he doesn't want you to have joy from your books. It's they're taking up a lot of space in your shared space. And so what my wife and I have done together is we have two small bookshelves. If you go to our home tour, uh, which you can find on the resources page of theminimalists.com, theminimalists.com slash resources. You can see a home tour. Uh, me and my wife have two bookshelves there. And once those bookshelves are filled up, we could very easily buy more bookshelves. Or I guess we could, we don't have a garage, but we have a, we, our building has a, a small garage in it. And we have this tiny little storage space in that garage area that, could fit some books. I could cram it full of books, but why would I do that? Now, I want to talk to you, Nicole, about the way you're talking about your books. And I think if you're trying to let go of the attachment with these books, you said you love them so much. And that indicates to me that I haven't done a very good job of teaching you to love people and use things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the experience of books. In fact, I really encourage you to do that. I think books can do some things that other mediums like film or even music can't do. And so I'm a big fan of books. And I think that's what you mean. I really do think that's what you mean. I don't think you mean you love them. I think we have a language problem, right? Because you could say, I love tacos, but I also love my husband. Wow. What does that mean? Does it mean the same thing? That it's a, a difficult decision, but choosing between the two? No. Well, hopefully you don't have to choose between tacos and your husband or books and your husband, but you do need to form some sort of detente in your household. And that means setting up some limits because otherwise if we don't have limits, we can let everything in. If everything is precious to us, then nothing is precious to us. You could tweet that podcast, Sean. Now, I would love for you to start changing your language around books. I don't want you to be less excited. I want you to pick up this book 
The Answers by Catherine Lacey, which I could tell you, I think a few years ago I would have said, I love this book because it's such a great experience. I dive into the consciousness of the author, of the characters. It's an amazing book. But what I really mean is, man, I enjoy this book. And there are times where there's nothing I would rather do than explore the pages, the world within this book. There was a writer, I think it was Rick Moody, I heard him talk about um, why he chose to be a writer. Someone in an interview asked him, hey, you know, there's all these other things you can do. You could be a yoga instructor. You could be an astronaut. You could be a hunter. You, you could be a school teacher. You could be an accountant. You could be a detective. You could be a trash collector. Why are you a writer? Why didn't you decide to be one of these things? And he thought about it for a moment, paused, and said, I guess I decided to be a writer because it's the only profession in which I could be all of those things. I can be the trash collector and the yoga instructor and the detective. I could be anything I want if I'm a writer. And I think the same is true when we really get lost in the book as a reader. I can take on the life of those characters. A great writer is not making the story with the reader. They're the dictator of their own world. They've created this world for you. And it's a beautiful world. It's a sad world. It's an elated world. It's an exciting world. It's a terrifying world, depending on how the author sets that up. And I want to get lost in books. And it sounds like you do too. But right now you're lost in them physically. They're stacked all around you, but you maybe you're not getting the value from them you actually could. Of course, I'm not telling you to get rid of all of your books, but maybe there's some sort of limitation that you and your husband can agree on. For me, that's two bookshelves that hold about 40 books each. So I guess that means we probably have about 80 books at home. But anytime one of us brings home a new book from our local bookstore, or if we order one online, we have to get rid of a book that's on there because I don't have any more room And it'd be silly for me to just keep adding to the piles more and more and more. It allows me to think about a book before I bring it into my life. But also, I don't treat any of them as precious. I'm willing to let any of them go. And especially if it's a book I get a lot of joy from, those are the books I let go most fervently. Because I want other people to get joy from those as well. So if after this, Jordan were to come up to me. And he were to say, hey, man, I really, you know, I've been thinking about writing a memoir. And I see you've got this book by Mary Carr. It's called The Art of Memoir. Can I read that? I said, yeah, have it. I want you to get value from it. I care about Jordan. And I know that one of the ways to add value to his life is to contribute to him in some way. And if I think this would add value to his life, and it's not a giving a gift, but in a way it is gift giving. It's, it's a, a way to add value to someone else's life. So be willing to let go of these, especially if they're no longer adding value to you. Because if they're no longer adding value to you, then one of the kindest, most compassionate things you can do for the people around you is let go of them so someone else can give value from those books. Speaking of books... Nicole, I'm going to send you a copy of one of our books that might, might, might sound cu- uh, uh, cruel at this point that I'm sending you a book and you're dealing with a collection of books. So maybe instead of the print book, which I have here, it's my favorite book that we've ever written. It's called Everything That Remains. It's a five-year journey of me and Ryan being these suit-and-tie corporate guys to becoming 
The Minimalists. Now, one of my favorite openings of anything that we've written. I'll read a little bit from the, the opening of Everything That Remains. This is the first chapter called Fluorescent Ghosts. Our identities are shaped by the costumes we wear. I'm seated in a cramped conference room surrounded by ghosts in shirt sleeves and pleated trousers. There are 35, maybe 40 people here. Middle managers, the lot of us, mostly Caucasian, mostly male, all oozing apathy. The group's median complexion is that of an agoraphobe. A Microsoft Excel spreadsheet is projected onto an oversized canvas pulled from the ceiling at the front of the room. The canvas is flimsy and cracked and is a shade of off-white that suggests it's a relic from a time when employees were allowed to smoke indoors. The rest of the room is aggressively white. The walls are white. The ceiling is white. The people are white, as if all cut from the same materials. Well, everyone except Stan, seated at the back of the room. I'll pause it there. But I hope you enjoyed this copy of Everything That Remains. If you like our podcast, I think you'll really enjoy the audiobook version, and that won't add to your book clutter. Or if you want the ebook version, we're happy to send that to you as well, Nicole. Enjoy Everything That Remains. We have another question here from Julian in Victoria, BC, Canada. I'm moving pretty soon here, and I have a bunch of books that were my grandmother's. Uh, which I'm having a really hard time letting go of. And I'm wondering if there's any uh, way you could suggest to minimalize them. I was thinking maybe some form of digital copy, or uh, I'd still like to read them eventually, at least some of them. Uh, but some of them just hold a bit of sentimental value. Um, so if there's any uh, suggestions you guys have for that, that would be great. Julian, I've had to go through this a couple times in, in my own life. So my father died when I was a young kid. and he left some books behind, um, and we had them all throughout my childhood. They were in this big dresser book cabinet thing that he had, and they became a fixture of my childhood. So I certainly resonate with the sentimental item aspect of that. And then, of course, uh, when my mother died when I was 29 years old, 28 years old, somewhere around there, um, yeah, I was 28, and... She left me a bunch of books. Well, she didn't leave them to me. They were just left behind, right? And I was in a very similar situation to you because I knew I wanted to read some of these books or at least thought I did. And so I held on to the ones I was sure I wanted to read. And I took photos of all the other ones. So I knew that if I ever wanted to replace them in the future, I'd have access to those books if I needed to buy them again for some reason. If my mom really liked a, a you know, Dave Edgar's novel. I could pick it back up in the future. There's no shortage of books. And so I look at, I looked at my mom's books and then I got back home and I realized I was still holding on to all of my father's books from my childhood as well. And I hadn't read a single one of them. And it, I was honest with myself. I looked myself in the mirror and I said, I'm not planning I have no plans of reading any of these books and I need to give myself permission to let go of at least some of them. I need to get some momentum here because I had none at that point. And so it started with just getting rid of one book, seeing how easy that was, seeing that I wasn't harmed by it. In fact, letting go is freeing. It's also free, by the way. It doesn't cost you anything to let go, but it does free up some space in your life. 
And so I'm not telling you to get rid of all of your grandmother's books. I'm really sorry that you have to deal with this. And I think there's a lesson here for parents and grandparents uh, with leaving our stuff to, to other people. Let's not leave behind things that people aren't going to get value from, right? And how do we determine that? Well, it means having some conversations while we're still here on this earth. And when I'm looking at, Julian, your, your situation, I get it. There's some sentimental value in these items. But items have sentimental item uh, value because we give them sentiment. We've assigned meaning to them. But this book, let me pull up a book here. What do I have here? Oh, Rupi Kaur, The Sun and Her Flowers, my favorite book of poetry. She's an amazing poet. This book doesn't have inherent meaning. Now, of course, it means something different to Rupi, who wrote it, than it does to me, the reader, who really enjoys this book, and I read from this all the time. It definitely would fit in my 90-90 rule, probably my 30-30 rule. I will just pick up a page, and and uh, I will read it to my wife, or I'll send her a picture of a particular poem that is resonating with me right then. And I'm not even a huge poetry fan, but I get a lot of value from it. And that's what I want for the books that you have, is... I want books that you're going to return to, books you're going to get value from. And if that value is in any of those books, I would encourage you to read those. But maybe set up some rules like we talked about with Danielle earlier on. Am I going to read this in the next year? Be honest with yourself. And maybe even hold on to it for the next year if you feel like you're going to. But then if you don't, give yourself permission to let it go if you feel like it's getting in the way. Now, of course, there are many of you reading this or listening to this rather, who are listening right now and saying, well, I've got a whole giant room full of books, bookshelves full of books, and they're not bothering me at all. In fact, I get great joy from being able to go in that room, pick up the books and smell them and the tactile feel. Great. If it's not bothering you, then why deprive yourself, right? Now, I might say it might make sense to temporarily deprive yourself, to box them all up for a month and see if you actually get more value without them, not get rid of them necessarily. These stoical experiments help us determine what we really get value from as opposed to the perceived value just because it's always been there. And so you can do your own version of a sort of packing party with books and to see whether or not you get value from them. And if so, then bring them back in. But if you realized it was faux value, if this was an imaginary value, then it might be time to reassess and to let go of those books that are actually in the way. Julian, I'm gonna send you a copy of a book. It's called Essential. And in that book, it's, there's that essay where I talk about the 2,000 books that I got rid of and actually started reading more in the process. But there's also a essay in there about how I deal with sentimental items. And I think that one will help you out the most. And it's called Letting Go of Sentimental Items. I think you'll enjoy that. So if you want the audiobook version, if you like our podcast, I think you'll certainly enjoy the audiobook version of Essential. It's over six hours long. It's our longest audio book. Or if you want the book book or the ebook, I'm happy to send those to you as well, Julian. Enjoy. All right. It's time for our lightning round. This is where we answer your text messages. Text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. And this week, if you text an emoji of a book, just text us an emoji of a book, we'll add you to our Monday morning minimal maxims list. That, that way we'll start your week out with a little bit of simplicity. A Monday morning minimal maxim each week, just a, a, a short burst of letting go. 
at the beginning of each week, something to inspire you to let go. All right, we got a question here from Bethany. How do I let go of my emotional attachment to each book I own? They all make me feel something, so it's hard to get rid of them. Isn't that fascinating? So making you feel something maybe shouldn't be the criteria for holding on to something, right? They all might make you feel something, but does they make you feel something good? All my stuff, you know, the average American household has 300,000 items in it. When I, before I became a minimalist, I was a well-organized hoarder. I probably had more than 300,000 items. And all that stuff made me feel something, but most of it made me feel miserable. It made me feel anxious, made me feel overwhelmed, made me feel discontented. So they might make you feel something, but I think maybe what you mean, Bethany, is they make you feel good. But I think that's not even criteria to hold on to something either. Don't confuse pleasure with joy, with meaning, with contentment, or even with happiness. They They might make you feel something, but you might feel better after you let go. There's something pithy in there that you could tweet, Sean. I do have a pithy answer for you here. We call these minimal maxims. We try to answer your your lightning round in 140 characters less. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. By the way, you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place for free, minimalmaxims.com. My minimal maxim this week is clinging is always an inappropriate way to hold on. Clinging is always an inappropriate way to hold on. So I think what happens when we get overwhelmed, we don't even know where to start, so we don't let go. Well, we don't let go, what do we do? We start clinging because something is no longer adding value to us. We're just holding on to it so tightly, we can't possibly let go. And so, of course, the first step in letting go is not just dropping the thing, it's loosening your grip. There are a bunch of ways you can do that. We talk about it in the Minimalist Rulebook, and uh, we obviously talk about it in everything that remains. But when I think about letting go, I think about what, what's, what are the benefits of letting go. It's not just getting rid of the stuff. Because if you just get rid of the books, you go home today, get rid of all your books. A month from now, a quarter from now, a year from now, you're probably just going to have another book problem, right? It's understanding the benefits of letting go. That's important. The why behind the what. If you understand why these things are stressing you out and why you want to let go, what are the benefits? Maybe it means you have more space. Maybe it means less cleaning. Maybe it means you're going to start reading more because you're able to focus on the few books that you actually own. Maybe it means you'll get more joy from those reference books that you do keep around. Those 20 to 40 to 80 books that you that you keep around. I think it was uh, Marie Kondo, Jordan, who, who said uh, 30 books is the perfect amount of books to own. So do you own the perfect amount of books? Yes. <laughs> we have a... Uh, and I had to throw away the three minimalist books to make it happen. Ah, <laughs> ah throw them away. Um, just kidding. I'm just kidding. He burned them. Uh, so so no, it, th- what's fascinating about this is I can appreciate the, the Marie Kondo thought process of minimizing the books, but I think that's an inappropriate number for most people. For me, 30 books would probably be okay. Now, I probably have 40 books, and my wife has 40 books, and so we have 80 total. So if you combine those, do I have 10 too many books? Well, maybe, but or maybe I have 
too few books as well. Maybe what is too much for me is not enough for you or vice versa. I don't think there's a perfect number of books for you to own. In fact, there was a period of time in my early 30s where I owned zero physical books. I did that intentionally. And so I've brought book, physical print books back into my life because sometimes I find that it's more appropriate to have a print book. Sean, let me ask you, podcast Sean, you, you, you enjoy a Kindle. You enjoy audio books as well. But there's also something about print books. So how do you make the distinction? How do you decide what you want out of a book and what format is the best format? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, usually... Uh, reference books, I keep um, hardback copies of those. Uh-huh. I'm going back to those all the time. So I usually keep a, a physical copy of those. Um, with fiction, I was doing the Kindle quite a bit, um, and that was more a convenience thing, right? You can keep everything right there. You can take it on the plane. You can yeah. pop it out, uh, use the Kindle app on your phone, like you're, when you're waiting in line at the bank or at a restaurant, because everything's carry out now. Um <laughs> But uh, I found myself, and I think you and I have talked about this, going back to physical books more and more um, for fiction, too, because of the interaction I can have with it. Yeah. Um, I find myself underlining lines I really like. I I like that physical interaction or uh, marginalia, you know, writing in the margins, asking questions. Uh, writing notes to myself. And I feel at that point, I'm really uh, interacting with the author. I'm having a conversation with the author. Yeah, and that's one of the things that that books do really well is, even if the author isn't alive, David Foster Wallace is a prime example of this. He's not here, but you can still have an exchange of consciousness. And by the way, you can have an exchange of consciousness with someone with whom you were born after they died. And you do that through this medium called a book or through writing or the page, right? It, you you mentioned the highlighting lines here. This is, um, oh man, th- so this book, I, I mentioned it a moment ago, The Answers by Catherine Lacey, and we'll wrap up the lightning round here, but I'll just find there, there are several things that are underlined here, and this is, the, well here, let's just, um, oh, this is about love. This is so good. I knew that this sort of love technically was just a neurotransmitter cocktail designed to make you feel invincible and infinite, beyond language, beyond logic, but I also knew that love was as thrilling as it was temporary, a prelude to pain, though I only knew this through reading, which is to say I had not really learned it yet and may never, that little shimmer in the chest, how simple it seems. It only seems that way. She talks about love quite a bit in some of these opening chapters of the book, and there's a few things underlined here. But I will say you can actually do that really well with a Kindle also. And uh, I, I've noticed this when I'm reading a book on a Kindle, especially, strangely, the iPhone app works even better than the Kindle in many respects where I can highlight, I can change the highlight colors, I can make notes in the book. And so you can sort of do the marginalia thing now with a Kindle. It's not the same tactile experience. And I find that a lot of books, there are certain books that a tactile experience is is better. I, the Gardener's book, for example, the, the Modern American Usage Dictionary. Yeah, that one makes a lot more sense as a physical book. There are other books, however, 
we're going to talk on the Maximal episode about some David Foster Wallace's works like Infinite Jest. It has the end notes. Oh, you could even say uh, Everything That Remains has end notes as well. Everything That Remains is arguably better on a Kindle because you're able to go back and forth between the end notes, which Ryan is inter- literally interrupting me throughout the book, and we, we set it up intentionally that it's supposed to be an interruption throughout the book. So I think there's 208 interruptions throughout this book, something like that. And so you're reading a page. You're on page 81, say, and then all of a sudden... You see there's there's one interruption on this page. You have to go to the back of the book, but it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be mimetic of Ryan's and my relationship. As you know, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, we interrupt each other a lot. And that's what we do with everything that remains. But you can do that on a Kindle, and maybe the transitions are a little bit smoother. Or if you're driving all the time, you probably shouldn't be reading any text. The audiobook is a better format for that. I also go on long walks quite frequently. Audiobooks are much better on my walks. The nice thing about a Kindle is I can switch between the Audible app and the Kindle, and it will pick up where I left off listening to go back into the book where I am reading. And so I think there's room for all three formats. You may prefer one over the other, but I think sometimes it depends on what book you're going to read. I think the best format is the format you're going to use most frequently. So if you're going to read more on a Kindle, don't think a Kindle is going to make you read more, by the way. It's not. The print book isn't going to make you read more. The audio book isn't going to make you consume more books. You just need to figure out what is the best vehicle for you in order to move forward. Last thing I'll say for Bethany here, she says, uh, they all make me feel something. It's so hard to get rid of them. Well, I talked about how meaning is often manufactured, right? Well, then if that's the case, then you might need to replace some of those books you're no longer reading that you want to let go of. Clearly you want to let go of them because you're asking this question. Again, this isn't for someone who doesn't want to let go of their books. If you want to keep your books, keep your books. But if you're struggling with holding on to them and you wish you had fewer books, then maybe replacing them with something that is more meaningful. And I don't mean a physical thing. I mean an experience. Experiences are inherently meaningful, whereas physical things have only the meaning we assign to them. All right, well, we've got some listener tips today and also an added value segment. I'm going to recommend a book that is being turned into a movie. Before we get into that, we've got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, I started listening to audiobooks. How can I let go of the physical books on my shelves? Do you keep books with personalized signatures? I think my answer on this one is going to surprise you. Also, what can books do for us that can't be accomplished with any other medium. We're going to dive deep into that. Plus, we have questions about book clutter versus book collections. What's the difference there? What do you do with marked up books, uh, ebooks versus print books? We're going to talk about the six books I wish I would have written. We're going to talk about my 14 favorite books. We're going to talk about the 50 best bookstores in the United States, or at least we'll highlight a few. I've got an article to read from with the 50 best books, uh, bookstores in the United States and a million more questions about books. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about writing on this week's Maximal episode. That's over on the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's a completely separate podcast. This is where Ryan and I we and our guests we, we let our hair down. We dive into more sensitive subjects, more long-form subjects. By the way, if you're not a private podcast subscriber, you're literally missing two-thirds of our show. So 
I know you're spending money on, on coffee every week, and if you get value from that, great. But what we try to do is deliver way more than $2 worth of value, which is how much our private podcast costs. And it keeps this podcast 100% advertisement free. So we're not talking about supplements. We're not talking about mattresses or bed sheets. We're not bombarding you with these advertising messages. I think those messages are insidious. And if you want to help us stay advertisement free, this is the best way to do that. But it doesn't just help us stay advertisement free. You get something out of the exchange here. You get to dive deep with us on a private podcast. The reason we do this is because we want to we want to add value to your lives in a different way. There are some things that are much more difficult to discuss in public and these private conversations with our smaller private podcast audience are, are the way for us to have these conversations in a way where really people let us mess up in public. And so thank you if you are a Patreon supporter. If you want to support us, theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe. You'll also get a personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. All right, here are some voicemail comments from our listeners. Check them out. Hey there, this is Jesse from Germany, and I want to share a tip for decorations. There's art libraries in many places which allow you to take home pieces of art for a couple of weeks. And that's great for either having cool pieces of art at home that cost almost nothing or it's a good way to figure out what kind of art fits your style before actually purchasing anything. My name's KB. I'm from Melbourne. I just had a tip for everyone out there who also had collected magazines and been hoarding them for a few years, such as myself. Uh, high schools really appreciate the donation. If you know a teacher or there's a local school nearby, uh, just ask the art teacher or the fashion teacher if they need some new magazines for collaging. Uh, when I was in high school, this was always one of my favourite activities and they're not that easy to come by if you don't want to buy them. Uh, so just get them out of your life unless you still read them, but chances are you probably don't. All right, y'all. Thanks again to me for joining you today. Let me know if you like these solo episodes. I'm happy to do more of them if you're finding value in it. Uh, we could even do more over on Patreon. By the way, if you're not a p private podcast supporter, like I said, check it out. Just give it a, a chance. Give it a chance for a month. I guarantee you we have a whole back archive, hundreds of old episodes. Uh, not old, but the, their previous episodes where you'll find immense value in a lot of these episodes. Hundreds of hours of material out there for you to dive into. Private podcast material you can't find anywhere else except on our private podcast. Speaking of value... For our added value segment this week, uh, there's a book that I really, really enjoy. They're turning into a film. By the time this comes out, it will be out as a film on Netflix. The book is called The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. I've met Donald once. We had lunch in Ohio. He's from Chillicothe, Ohio. Actually, he's from a small little town outside of there that is now a ghost town called Knock'em Stiff, Ohio. And The Devil All the Time takes place in Knock'em Stiff, Ohio. Phenomenal book. I mean, his story is amazing. In fact, uh, hopefully we'll have some time to dive into it. But real quick, at around age 50, he decided he wanted to quit his factory job. He worked at a local, lo local paper mill and decided to walk away from that, become a full-time fiction writer, and made it work. He hadn't written fiction before then. I mean, he, he had dabbled, obviously, and he read a lot, though. It's a great success story because it shows that you're, it's never too late, you're never too old. By the time he was 55, he had two books published, 
and uh, I believe he has four books published now. But The Devil All the Time is now being made into this beautiful Hollywood film on Netflix. The trailer looks amazing. By the time this episode comes out next week, it will also be available for you to watch on Netflix. But this is one of those things where I'm going to be the book snob and say, you've got to read the book. It's such a good book. But at the very least, I guess you can check out the film. It's called The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. We'll put a link to that in the show notes real quick for right here, right now. Here's one thing, or maybe two or three things, going on in the life of the minimalists. Speaking of reading, if you've decided you wanted to start writing, I have a free ebook for you. It's called 11 Ways to Write Better. You can find that over at my website called howtowritebetter.org. That's where I teach my writing class a couple times a year, and a lot of things I teach my students, you get a high-level version of it in that free ebook. You just put in your email address. I'll also keep you posted on whenever that writing class opens back up howtowritebetter.org to get your free ebook of 11 ways to write better. Also, speaking of books, Ryan and I have written three books, Everything That Remains, Essential, and our first book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. Not only are they available as books and ebooks and audiobooks, but they're available in over a dozen different languages now. So, I know we have a lot of, uh, only about 50% of our audience, Sean, is in the U.S. The other 50% are all over the world, right? There's 193 countries out there, and they're available in over a dozen languages. You can find out which countries they're available in if you go to theminimalists.com slash foreign. You can see which countries already have our books published, and then the upcoming countries as well. If you want a complete list of where our books are available, and that list is ever-expanding. So a year from now, there'll probably be even more countries on that list. We have a new book coming out next year called Love People, Use Things. Stay tuned for that. Also on our website, if you're not subscribed to our email list, then you probably don't know about this, but we just put up a new essay about compassion. It's called Compassion for Hypocrites. And we're going to dive deep into this because we're going to do an Election Day episode in the near future. And uh, we're going to have some friends from different parts of the political spectrum. But instead of arguing with each other, debating each other, we're going to have a discussion on how we can have compassion for each other. And this essay is really about that. You can find it at theminimalists.com slash compassion. Or if you're on our email list, it will show up in your inbox or it should have showed up in your email inbox already. I'll just read a quick snippet from this and then you can check out the rest. The man who protests capitalism using a megaphone he purchased from Walmart. The woman who tweets about income inequality on a device made by underpaid workers. The environmentalist who flies to their next Save the Planet rally. The political pundit who pontificates about censorship on a media platform that reaches millions. The vegan who sprays insecticide on her garden. The minimalist who owns six jackets. Jordan, you need any jackets? Yes. <laughs> Too bad. They're mine. <laughs> we're all hypocrites. And we're all suffering on some level. So instead of pointing fingers, let's find compassion for the people who disagree with us, the people who anger us, the people on the wrong side of the issue. Wrong is in quotes there, because of course, if someone else is on the other side of the issue, then they must be wrong and I must be right. Compassion is composed of the Latin preposition com, which means with, and the verb passus, or passion, right? Passus, which means to suffer. 
meaning to have compassion, we must simply be with someone who's suffering. We needn't feel their suffering, that's empathy, nor must we remove their grief or provide countless solutions. That's something I always struggle with, guys. It's uh, Someone comes to me with a problem, I want to fix that problem. Call me up because I'm the problem solver. But sometimes the best thing to do is to have compassion. You don't need to provide countless solutions. You needn't remove their grief. It's not all, It's often not possible, right? We need only bear witness. And that's what that essay is really about. I can give you a hug even if I don't agree with you. I can listen to you even if I don't want to hear you. I can love you even if I don't like every piece of you. If you want to read the rest of that essay, it's theminimalists.com slash compassion. You can follow The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. Let me know about some of your favorite books over there. I'd love to hear and get some reading recommendations. Not so I can buy your books and store them on a shelf, but so... I can find something that adds value to my life and also something that will add value to other people's lives who are in those comments as well. YouTube.com slash The Minimalists. If you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at TheMinimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails whenever we send those. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it